is it? <laughs> it's the plumber. It's the plumber. <laughs> Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. And now it's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh yeah, and lobster with butter. Lobster! Now, ha. lobster doesn't just taste fantastic, but it's super nutritious. Yeah, we'll find out all about that in a minute. Oh, hello. I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And also our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few of you who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Now, we're not doctors, so we don't give medical advice. Right. We just share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and lamb kidneys? Lamb, lamb kidneys. kidneys. <laughs> yeah, we share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes. My favorite part, recipes. Yes, ma'am. So let's start podcast number 177. Raphael Sertoli rates your food. Could you save your due for a little? Well, this was a fabulous interview. But before we get to that, let's explain in plain English to our lovely listeners what a ketogenic diet is. Yes. Well, that's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day, enjoy a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. Fat? Fat. 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 Fatity fat. fat. Yes, if you're just starting, listen to our Starting Keto Show at start.2keto.com, or just start listening from episode one. Well, Carrie, what's new with you? Plumbing. Plumbing. Very exciting plumbing has been happening. What happened? Well, the coil went in my oil-powered furnace, which meant that my hot water has been on the fritz. In other words, non-existent? Well, kind of coming and going. Kind of a minute of scalding hot water and then a minute of freezing cold water oh, and terrible. so on and so forth. Um, and Yuck. so today, the plumber is in my basement uh, hooking up a electric tankless hot water heater. And I couldn't be more excited because that means I can have all the hot water I want whenever I want it. Well, hot water is one of those things that you don't really realize how important it is until it's not there. Right. And I do like to take long soaks in hot bubble baths. So yay me. So I'm very excited about hot water. 
You know, I know you didn't grow up in the States, but in the United States, when, you know, we're about the same age. So when we were growing up, there was a show on TV called The Electric Company. It was on PBS, uh, and it was sort of an answer to Sesame Street, but it, um, Morgan Freeman got his start there. Rita Moreno was on it, and uh, it, was, it was kind of a little more comedy than, it, uh, than Sesame Street was. You know, Sesame Street was cute and educational. This was educational and funny. And uh, they did all sorts of skits, and one of them was this uh, the plumber sketch, which was really uh, a cartoon. And uh, I'll link to this. This is great. But uh, it was a cartoon. So lady goes out, leaves the house, parrot sitting by the door, and little plumber comes up, knocks on the door, and the parrot goes, who is it? It's the plumber. Come to fix the sink. Nothing. Right, and the parrot just doesn't say anything. Nobody comes to the door. Knock, knock, knock. Who is it? It's the plumber. I've come to fix the sink. Then he gets so this goes on three or four times, and he's getting more and more irate. So irate that he falls down dead, like little X's on his eyes. Like it's the plumber. Come to fix the sink. Ah! Clutches his heart, and then the lady of the house comes back in the frame and she looks down and says who is it parrot goes it's the plumber he's come to fix the sink (laughs) (laughs) it was very funny thank you for sharing that with me we'll put it in the show notes so you can watch it in all its glory i remember being like five and just laughing my butt off watching this show and this skit in particular because they repeated it all the time it was like on every show or every other show or something anyway that's what i thought of so I have hot water. Yeah. So that's been awesome. And churning ice cream, of course, because when you make ice cream for 240 people, that requires a lot of churning. So there's been oh boy. ice cream churning. There's been kitten training. Mm. And Wait, the- did you say kitten training or kitchen training? Kitten, kitchen training, kitchen. I understand. But there is no such thing as kitten training, Carrie Brown. Absolutely, there is. My what? Priscilla is where we're... She's basket trained now. If she comes on the counter, she knows she has to be in a basket. She has a basket on the desk. She knows now. We've almost got her to the point where she stopped asking for food when I'm eating. Is she like some sort of supernatural being? Because in my world, cats don't do anything you want them to. Yeah, no, that's just the way all the cats in the brown household, they all get trained. And they're like a little salt. They're like a little army. Forget cookbooks. You should be writing cat (laughs) training books because I've never seen anybody train a cat to do anything. Seriously, like if you can do that and pull it off, you should be writing a book about it. Yeah, no, she's uh, she's actually doing really well. It's only taken three days to get her to almost stop jumping up for food at, at my dinner time. So wow. we're doing very well in the kitten training department. But the so really cool. exciting thing about this week was that I did another couple of podcasts. Well, I, I, I did a podcast with Carnivore Cast, Scott okay. Maslinski, who we're very excited to be joining us at Keto Fest this coming weekend. He's going to be recording a podcast live. Yes. So this week I recorded a podcast with Scott Myslinski from the Carnivore Cast. Mm-hmm. We talked about mental health. Super excited to have Scott join us at Keto Fest this coming weekend where he's going to be recording another podcast live on stage. Yeah. So we talked about mental health, but the highlight of my week was really 
I recorded a video interview for a company that produce training materials for mental health professionals. So I shared my story about my journey with bipolar Mm. as part of this course material for mental health professionals. And the reason that is so exciting is because if, if my story reaches these 20,000 mental health professionals that are probably going to watch it, then I feel like it could really, really make an impact for starting to change the the way we look at mental health or the way we treat it. So I'm I love doing podcasts, but being part of training material for mental health professionals was just like the most exciting thing for me. And if you haven't heard Carrie's story, she shared it with Richard and I on show 125, sitting down with Carrie Brown. And we'll link to that one as well. So it's been a mental health kind of week. Hot water, ice cream, and talking about bipolar. What about you? What have you been up to? Well, I've been busy getting materials ready for Keto Fest, ordering stuff, um, getting the program and the website together, culling all the data from the various volunteers that are putting things together. And um, but, but what I really want to do right now is announce the special ingredient in bazoodles that I've been <gasps> so tight-lipped about. And the reason I'm t- I've been tight-lipped about it is because, honestly, I didn't want to just give it away before I had a chance to get a cookbook in development and get, have some sort of product in the works that I can, that I can uh, sell and you know monetize a little bit. And uh, it turns out everybody's really happy who have the... Uh, Bazoodle cookbook. Every every once in a while, we'll get somebody who can't get any this ingredient in the. So I guess I'm just going to announce it. I'll just say what it is. It's transglutaminase. So tell us a little bit about that. Transglutaminase is also sometimes called meat glue, and Richard Morris introduced me to this at my house. Uh, and one of his recipes was Wiley Dufresne's. Um, shrimp noodles or shrimp pasta, you could call it that. Wiley Dufresne is a chef in New York City, been wildly successful, and he's one of these, you know, he he thinks outside the box, and he basically used this um, ingredient, which is used in the food industry, to buy to bind proteins together, and he mixed it with shrimp in a food processor and made like a paste out of it, and then you know extrude it through a um, pastry bag or a Ziploc bag or something like that into stock or water, and it forms a noodle and it has the bite of a noodle and all that stuff. So transglutaminase or TG is a natural enzyme that's found in animals. We have it in us. Uh, it's used to clot blood and in the production of sperm and other things like that. And it's also used in the food industry to bind proteins together Um Imitation crab meat, uh, hot dogs, chicken nuggets. Uh, you know, it's debatable whether those are foods, but uh, but uh, there have been other examples of 
people taking different cuts or scraps of meat and binding them together with meat glue and then trying to pass that off like as a steak or something like that. I have never seen that, but apparently it's a thing. The only danger from that is the bacteria on the outside of the meat sort of gets in inside it. Whereas if you just have a real cut of meat and you sear it on all sides, the bacteria is dead. So a few people have uh, expressed concern on the internet about transglutaminase. It's not without controversy. Um, and, and especially because uh, there's a hypothesis, and it's only a hypothesis, that it may play a role in interacting with gluten to bring upon uh, celiac disease. So naturally, I spent a lot of time researching this. And first of all, TG is everywhere in the food supply. Number two, you have to... Uh, it has to be in the presence of gluten. So if you're not eating gluten, there is I, there is no association with anything. And there definitely isn't a causation effect of, uh, you know, eat transglutaminase, get celiac disease. But I totally understand that people who have celiac disease want to stay away from it and not take the chance that it will uh, give them a flare-up. Anyway, I would like to know if anybody has experience with TG and celiac and flare-ups and all that stuff, I'm not asking you to do research. I'm saying if you've already experienced something like that, send it to me because I'm all about the science. All right, so the cookbook is now available, as I said last week, for $25 at cookbook.bazoodles.com. Version 1 has seven delicious recipes, including ravioli and lasagna and linguine and clam sauce. Version two will add six more, and right now I'm thinking manicotti, and I'm also thinking um, gnocchi, Ooh. which is going to be fun. Um, I'm going to try it. And version three will add at least six more after that, and they're going to be staggered in the coming months. So that's the story. The mystery ingredient is transglutaminase. The big reveal. Yeah, that's the big reveal. And you are currently buried under bazoodles because Keto Fest. Yeah, I made 49 batches of bazoodles uh, at uh, RD86 last Monday, and I'm going to make another 50 this Monday. Wow. Yeah. And from that, I'm going to make lasagnas, which will serve at the VIP party and at um, RD86. I'm so excited. And by the way, everybody at Keto Fest is going to be able to buy the Bazoodles cookbook for only 10 bucks. Wow. And my cookbooks will also be there at a discounted price. Excellent. And I'm going to show you how to make it from all the ingredients, um, the recipe and all of that at RD86 during Keto Fest. Good That's job. That's my cooking demo. Yeah. So, that's what we've been doing. Let's give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club, which you can join for free at fanclub.twoketo.com. Who's the winner this week, Carl? This week's winner is Teo M. Abraham. Yay! Yay, Teo. And Teo wins a coffee mug with our mugs on it just for being a member of the fan club. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.com. 2 Right. 
All right, now it's time to read a letter. A letter? Do you have a letter a for letter. us? A letter. Kinder, gentler letter. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. All right, no. well, this is actually really cool. It's from the forums in the Show Me the Science section, which is a great section because people ask about science and other people say, here's some stuff that I've read and point to studies, and it's just great. So this is uh, titled Keto and Pregnancy. Please show me the science in all caps. And this is from 2017, but I thought it was so cool. I want to share it. I'm currently 40 with a toddler who will be two in October. My hub and I are recently back on the keto bandwagon, and we'll stay here for good this time, and have decided to try for a second child. I'm curious to know what kind of information might be out there in the science and medical world that would keep me on track should I become pregnant. All I've been able to find thus far is largely anecdotal. Does anyone have any links to actual studies done about the effects of keto during pregnancy? I know that at the heart of the matter, a well-formulated keto diet shouldn't be harmful to either mother or fetus. However, I'm wondering what kind of tweaks and changes might be necessary to support healthy fetal development. Are there changes to supplements that might need to take place? Any help on this subject would be fantastic, even anecdotal help. So an article was posted as a reply which breaks down the science. And here's an excerpt from it. When I first dove into the research, I was shocked to find that studies on healthy, non-diabetic pregnant women eating a regular diet show a marked elevation in ketones after a 12 to 18 hour fast, which is akin to eating dinner at 8 p.m. and having breakfast at 8 a.m., or skipping breakfast entirely. What's more interesting is that pregnancy actually seems to favor a state of ketosis. Compared to non-pregnant women, blood ketone concentrations are about threefold higher in healthy pregnant women after an overnight fast. And in late pregnancy, metabolism shifts to a state of catabolism, making ketosis even more frequent. Knowing this, I would expect that every pregnant woman experiences ketosis at some point during her pregnancy, particularly if she experiences nausea or food aversions. I find it hard to believe that our bodies would perpetuate a state of ketosis if it was truly harmful to a baby. But I continued my research into the topic. The majority of studies on ketosis are actually looking at a diabetic ketoacidosis, or starvation ketosis, not nutritional ketosis induced by eating a low amount of carbohydrates. So TLDR, keep calm and keto on. <laughs> Baby's just fine. <laughs> it's a great article, and the author cites all the science in it. So it's it's great. It's always interesting to me that that people who don't understand keto are always questioning whether it's healthy, but nobody's questioning whether Pop-Tarts and keto are healthy. I mean, it's just like, this happens all the time, doesn't it? It's, it's just like, crazy. we're eating this, this edible products, nobody bats an eye, but you talk about eating whole real food and yeah. everybody loses their minds i say put a little butter on your steak and everybody loses their shit. yeah right. <laughs> where were you when i was eating twinkies yeah jerk all right <laughs> well carrie i'm very excited to have as our special guest today Raphael sertoli he's a neuroscience researcher a nutrition wonk 
a co-host of the Break Nutrition Podcast with Gabor Erdosi. And now he's starting a new venture, Nutrita, uh, where he's got a, a blog at Nutrita.app and also working on apps that let you track food, nutrition, you know, ketone scores and all that just by scanning the barcode. So that's very exciting. Welcome, Raphael. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you for having me on. Hey, yes. welcome. Welcome to America all the way from Portugal. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say I love Portugal? I would I went to Porto for the first time this year and I experienced just some of the best cured pork in the supermarket and amazing wines that were like two and a half euro per bottle and run circles around Californian wines. I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they know what they're doing when it comes to food and wine. Um, it's not only good quality, but it's also pretty cheap. I want to come live in Porto in my next life. <laughs> Soon <laughs> as possible. And the sardines. Don't forget the sardines. Best mm. sardines ever. And not just the sardines, which, by the way, I, uh, is a general term for fish. It can be a bunch of different species. But the fresh fish in, in Porto was just mind-blowing, right? I mean, the, the restaurants are like fish markets. They have the fish on ice in the window. You say, I want that one. They dress it, take it out to the grill, grill it right there on the street usually, and then bring it back in and serve it to you whole. Oh. It, it's a whole different food when fish is fresh. And I think we're, we're not used to eating fresh fish uh, a lot in the U.S. and even, even back home where I'm from in, in France. I think that's sort of what puts people off when the fish isn't really fresh. It, it's just too strong a, a taste. And it's a pity because when you get it fresh, it's, it's really something else. Yeah, it's literally right off the boat there. I mean, I live on the coast. We have fresh fish here. Yeah, mm -hmm. one of the things I love about Connecticut is the, the seafood scene. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's talk about Nutrita. Yeah, so what can I tell you about it? I, uh, I co-founded it with uh, a good friend of mine that I know since, uh, since my teen years, uh, Eddie. And our idea was basically to... Uh, take a lot of the advice that I'd given him to help him um, surmount the burnout that he experienced after his uh, entrepreneurial ventures. And he thought we should definitely uh, make a business of this and help other people who had, uh, you know, struggles with uh, being overweight or metabolic syndrome and even sleep issues and a lot of the lifestyle interventions that can help with all of that. So Nutrita really uh, exists from a uh, a need, basically a practical need to solve health issues, which unfortunately uh, a lot of mainstream medicine has difficulty uh, addressing properly because of the drug-centric model approach that isn't really suited to uh, diseases of lifestyle, if you will, or, or stress or food. So that's really where it, it, it spins out from. And so we have a lot of content on there on keto, intermittent fasting, carnivore diets, low carb. Well, let's talk about the coolest part of this, which is uh, it, it's called a keto and low carb food search engine. Yeah. So you're offering something that a lot of people want, but they typically go to Google for like how many carbs and this and that. And you, just by getting that information, it's not reliable, number one, because it could come from any bunch of different sources. And I have uh, been misled a couple of times by just doing a Google search for carb content. You know, it says zero when it's really not. And if you do several searches from several sources, you get 
conflicting numbers, but you also offer a keto score, right? A, a nutrient density score and an insulin index. Yes. That's yes. awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was our first feature to really showcase the approach we are taking to nutrition where uh, like you said, people want to know their the carb content of their food, whether it's total carbs or net carbs, which is in itself a big controversial discussion, but we can leave that aside for the moment. And then understand the the basic qualities of the food. You know, how is it going to affect your insulin? If you're following a ketogenic diet, is it likely to be conducive to that? Or is it going to sort of kick you out of ketosis if, if your goal is to stay in, in ketosis? And these two scores are great. They're helpful. But they're really insufficient in and of themselves to tell you if the choice you're making, the food you're selecting, is actually nutritious because we eat to be nourished. I mean, it's it's trite to say, but it's true. And I think we tend to forget that when we have this unidimensional view of diet. So our view was that the insulin index or the keto score had to be used in conjunction with a nutrient density score to really give a more complete choice for the person looking up a food. Right, you know, it, 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 it's like we, it, it can become so myopic, can't it? Where it's just like all that matters is the carbs and, and, and that's all that matters. Well, you could be glugging down like gallons of vegetable oil and thinking, oh, hey, cause ketosis is all that matters. But we know that there, there is, there is actually more to it than that. And we shouldn't just be looking at whether it keeps us in ketosis. We should be looking at the other health benefits or not that these foods bring to us so we can make smarter keto choices, not just keto choices. I want to divulge some of the numbers here right on the front screen. I haven't even done a search. And it's really, really interesting that um, let's say broccoli has an insulin index of 39%, which is rated poor. Okay. Kale also 37%, which is poor. Lean beef raw has an insulin index of 27%, avocados 5%, bacon 6%. Just for, yeah. you know, comparison. And eggs 17%. Mm -hmm. So that's good stuff to know. I mean, uh, cuz obviously the goal is lower insulin. Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah. And look, I mean, you can have, of course, everyone knows you can have leafy green vegetables on a ketogenic diet, right? Um, so that's why if you look at the keto score, those foods are actually okay um, as well. So this is why we like to present the three scores together because it really helps uh, get the global context. But it's true that when you look at the insulin index of even of the, of these highly fibrous, low starch foods, if you take them in isolation, well, relative to the number of calories or the gram weight, they're going to have a, a relatively, and the keyword being relatively elevated insulin index. Um, so, you know, it's, it's actually a really interesting discussion to understand, you know, how these scores come about. There's a whole history behind it and why they were developed. But, uh, we really wanted to make it very simple for people who don't have all the scientific background to understand and say, okay, I've heard I have to manage my diabetes. Um, I have to keep my insulin low. What does this food, you know, is it, is it acceptable or is it a really bad choice? And that's sort of trying to simplify very complex concepts, 
uh, into into a simple score. And you know, it's it's a work in progress. We always see some uh, uh, some small errors. For example, if you take spices, initially we we kept getting weird scores. And of course, you use them in such small quantities that the score doesn't reflect that. So, you know, it takes a lot of uh, engineering uh, with our, uh, we have a, a team of uh, developers who are always, always helping us refine it. Um, and, you know, so we, we have to take all of these things into account to have a reliable score. How many foods do you have in your database? We have a bit more than 4,000. Whoa. Um, yeah, okay. there are, you know, quite, some of them are variations on the theme, of course. There are also branded uh, products. And um, it took a lot of work to refine the database because most of the scores and the nutrient analysis that you get out there. Um, so we had to learn this very quickly. Um, they're not refined at all. They're just copied from a database. There's a formula that's applied and whatever comes up, comes up. That's not what we did. We spent more than nine months working on it to, you know, eliminate false positives, uh, get only keep the foods that had sufficient data so to produce quality scores and i think that's a big difference between us and for example uh, people like chronometer or nutrition data.self which a lot of people used and i used to use before it was just very unsatisfying to realize the number of false positive or false negatives you get so we tried to to, to bring up some more quality scores and the database will expand as the quality of the scores can be maintained great so Talk to me about nutrient density. I've, I've always been fascinated by that. So I'm, I'm looking at, at, at the app and I see nutrient density and there's a, there's an X out of 10 score. But what does nutrient density mean? What does like, why is beef nine and, um, and so beef steak lean raw is six and mm -hmm. beef liver raw is nine. Like what does nutrient density, what's it a measure of? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, uh, it's actually my favorite topic of conversation when it comes to our scores because it's the most complex one. So I'll do my best to try to simplify it. Um, there are quite a few concepts to understand about what it means for a food to be nutrient dense. So I think we should start out by just defining what we mean by by density. So when people understand about the, the, the density of anything, forget food for a moment, right? So you have a certain amount of stuff in a, in a particular volume, right? And that gives you the, the density of something. So in a food, you can calculate it by calories or by grams and then add up basically the different number of minerals and vitamins and amino acids and fatty acids. And there are different ways you can do this, right? Depending on how you do your calculation, your scores can vary widely. Now, the approach we took for nutrient density is, okay, this is so complex. We're not going to pretend we have this perfect algorithm to perfectly tell you uh, if it's nutrient dense or not. So we have to use, we have to get help basically from evolutionary biology. We have to take a step back and sort of go from first principles and understand that Humans have certain needs and there are some things which are essential and some are not. So, for example, we know that the quality of protein from animal food is much higher than the quality of protein from, say, uh, plant foods, generally speaking. So it's, it's really important for us to take this into account when we're doing our additions and subtractions about the amount of different amino acids that are in the foods. Because once again, depending on how you can do the calculation, because there's no straightforward way to do it, you could end up having plant foods uh, seemingly much more nutrient dense 
than animal foods because they're much lower in calories. And in terms of a density perspective, you'd be unfairly penalizing animal foods. So the, the, the secret sauce of the app, you will, is really applying broad concepts from evolutionary biology and clinical medicine to come up with a score that's more accurately going to reflect the nourishment of that, of that food. How, how likely nourishing, how complete it is in its, uh, in its, uh, nourishment for you, basically. We're talking vitamins, we're talking minerals, but we're also talking fatty acids. I mean, we're talking yeah. all, all the things. Exactly. So usually the, the, the scores for how nutritious a food is, if you look at the typical, you know, government label, or again, if you go on chronometer or stuff like that, they add up vitamins, they add up minerals. Uh, they might sometimes add up uh, protein, but they won't take into account ratios or conditionally essential versus uh, essential, right? They won't have this, this nuance and these layers to actually give you a score that's reflective of what you're actually going to get. Is it just volume or is it also like, you know, it, it's got this amount of fatty acids and this amount of amino acids and that balance makes it more nutrient dense than if it the ratio was different is it simply yeah. volume of nutrients per volume of food or is there there's more to it than that no that's that's a, a really good question and uh, it isn't because if we did we'd end up doing the same mistake as other uh, nutrient scoring systems out there that will penalize ketogenic diets because for a given volume of food fatty ketogenic foods have more calories and thus these would automatically be uh, penalized uh, saying well it's not very nutrient dense and you basically couldn't do a nutrient dense ketogenic diet if you followed those nutrient scoring systems now you the three of us all know that you can it's absolutely possible we've had blood tests done on ourselves we've seen it done on others we've talked to clinicians we've even have studies now coming out to show that people on ketogenic diets or on carnivore diets don't have uh, nutrient deficiencies so we have to always be very empirical with how we build our scores and adapt it in function of what we see in the real world and i think this is where others go astray and who sort of try to just do the simple volume or calorie calculation, and they end up falling short. So I, I think the manifestation of nutrient density is how good you feel after you eat something that's nutrient dense. And I found this to be true with the liver pate and with the sardines, that if I ate those, afterward, I felt like there's nothing that I can get from food now. Like, I, there, I have no interest in food whatsoever. And that, you know, that is sort of the magic of it, isn't it? I mean, you have nourished yourself. Your body is not craving anything. So it, that should guide you, you know, in life in general, whatever you eat. If it makes you hungrier, it's probably not a, a very nutritious food. Right. I think, you know, you have to take into account, you know, nourishment is not simply just vitamins and minerals. It's also calories. How quickly is this food going to fill you up and for how long is it going to keep you full so that you don't go throughout your day wanting to snack all the time? I mean, right. this is a, a discussion we had with uh, Siobhan that you've had on the podcast recently where, you know, calories aren't just this, this uh, sort of, uh, um, empty source of energy no it's it's providing signals that help you feel nourished and help you know basically work through all the vitamins and minerals that you're bringing in in the first place 
So it's, it's, we have to take this much, uh, more sort of, in a sense, it's a bit of more advanced view of nutrition than the, than the typical dietitian, I'm sorry to say, will, will give you where, you know, just try to maximize your vitamins and minerals for the minimum number of calories. We don't think it's that simple. We think you have to feel full and we think you should, you know, not be worrying about calories every time you're trying to have a nutrient dense meal. So this may be a bit deep for this discussion, and 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 if so, we can just delete it anyway. So, um, so I've been looking at or thinking about recently how, when you process, for want of a different word, foodstuffs, you can actually change their level of how satiating they are. For example, I could drink a cup of heavy cream. But if I whipped that, that cup of heavy cream into stiff peaks, I would not be able to eat that. I would get satiated before I'd eaten it all. So, and, and I've been thinking about, so gelatin, because I'm doing a couple of uh, mousse recipes at Keto Fest at the demo. And one of the reasons I'm doing that is because if you take the, the base recipe without the gelatin, you could eat more of it than if you add the gelatin and leave it to set so it becomes, you know, a solid or a gel. You can't eat as much of it once it's gelled. So in that respect, so you're not getting as many nutrients because you're not eating as much, but you're actually more satiated even though you're getting less nutrients. Well, you may be getting less nutrients per minute or per time unit, right? Because it takes longer to chew through all of the, you know, to break down the gelatin and all of that stuff. Right. That's, that's where my brain goes anyway. And, and I don't mean to take this in the weeds, but but when you were talking, um, Rafi, it just made me think about, you know, volume and how we can alter satiation by processing, for want of a better word, some of the foods we eat. So when you scramble eggs, you can't, eat as many as when you fry an egg and when hard-boiled eggs you can't eat as many as when you scramble them because of the the kind of the structure the way that is did you take any of that into account when you were doing this like do you have say numbers for a an amount of liquid cream heavy cream versus whipped heavy cream yeah, so those are I love those because those are Jedi level nutrition questions, and they're they're my favorite. Sorry, um, wow. Uh, this is this is this what is this is what my brain does. I'm sorry. She's Yoda. She's small, but she's powerful. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is actually an ongoing discussion I'm having with a couple of people, especially Fahad of Keto Geek and Gabor, who's a you know really a specialist in in industrial techniques of, of fermenting sugars and and other uh, such aspects and uh, you're right depending on the texture the viscosity the se- uh, liquid versus uh, a solid state of the food you can really change speed of absorption speed of breakdown bioavailability satiation as well as satiety which is you know satiation is this uh, uh you're eating your meal and you're like okay i'm full and you have satiety which is you know you've already stopped eating and you're just not hungry for the next couple of hours right so 
we have these really intricate concepts that are starting to give us a higher resolution picture of of how the same food, as you said, with the example of eggs, can affect our appetite or even just our our caloric intake differently. Um, So unfortunately, and this is sort of, to my mind, honestly, it's scandalous that we don't have good data. We just don't have good data on all of that. So we have actually used concepts of food processing to uh, to make uh, our insulin index more accurate than the original studies um, uh, were and the other insulin indices that are out there. However, it's limited. You know, um, as soon as we can get our hands on better data about differences in food processing, this is something we'll integrate. So we've already done it, but it's very preliminary. And it's not, uh, you know, we, we, we're data hungry. Anyone out there who can find a paper which can make, uh, can give a formula for that reliably, please send it our way because we can't wait to integrate that into our scores. But, um, since you were talking about a uh, satiety carry, I think I will bring up that there's a, a satiety index going around the internet. And it's often, you know, uh, bandied about as this, well, duh, just follow the satiety index, just eat a lot of boiled potatoes and that's it. You're going to lower your your caloric intake and you're going to lose fat. And uh, don't you know, this is what you should always have done. I think um, I think my potato meter must be broken because I can <laughs> eat pounds of mashed potatoes with, I mean, I can eat potatoes for hours. I and haven't still done for a lot a lot of lot of years but i there is no limit to my mashed potato eating abilities so this brings up another thing rafi which is do these numbers change depending on the state the metabolic state of the eater in other words is a glucose burner going to have um you know when they eat eggs is the insulin index going to be different for them than uh, a fat adapted person Right. And this is so, uh, once you get, you guys bring up too many good points, honestly. Uh, <laughs> this is a discussion I was having with Richard the other day about the original studies done on the insulin index. And he made the point that, you know, this isn't representative of the most common population, which tends to be pre-diabetic, if not outright diabetic. And you're right. Those indices will change according to your metabolic context. And we're sorely lacking the sort of large scale studies to make this, you know, sort of clinically valid as we'd, as we'd love it. So we have to do our best at estimating it. Uh, really, you know, um, taking the evidence and trying to uh, reconcile it with what we already know about how carbs and protein differentially affect insulin. So it's a it's it's a constant game of refinement and really, you know, keeping it up to date. Wouldn't um, it be so cool to have a slider on the website that says, you know, pure glucose burning, completely fat adapted, and people could guess where they are somewhere in between. You know. Yeah. And, and in fact, you know, our, uh, our apps are going to be, uh, synchronized, uh, via API with people taking, uh, measuring their blood glucose and their blood ketones. Awesome. So, I, let's talk about the apps. What are, the, what are they? And so we have a, a free mobile app that's going to come out on iOS, uh, and Android where it will be a simple uh, keto scanner, basically, where people can scan foods, especially if they're based in the U.S., because our database is mostly uh, uh, for U.S. foods uh, as of now. And, you know, you'll be able to look up a food, basically get a simple keto score, insulin index, nutrient density score, add that to your journal, and just learn about, you know, to make simple food choices if you're trying to follow a ketogenic diet or a low-carb diet. So this is going to be a really simple introduction to, to what we're doing. 
And a bit later this summer, we'll have a, a pro uh, version, right? So where th you can track what you're doing over weeks and months. And of course, use all the scores. You'll have uh, recipes automatically generated according to your goals, uh, right? Your your carb uh, uh, limits and your protein targets and, and the keto score you're trying to get on average throughout the week. So are you, you'll know, are you eating enough animal foods to really have a complete set of amino acids? So we're trying to help people hit the basic targets. Um, we're not doing calorie counting. Uh, of course, calories matter, but no, you shouldn't obsessively think about calories. And, you know, we're trying to bring some very basic principles to help people achieve some results, whether that's fat loss, blood sugar control, uh, even, you know, gain muscle or just maintain their weight. They just want to have an idea of what they're doing. Maybe they're self-experimenters like Siobhan, and it would benefit them just to have an idea of, of uh, how they're doing. Because it's true, it, it, it's actually incredibly nuanced and it's incredibly complicated and it can be really like really put people off even going here because they look at it and they go, oh my goodness, I've got to track this and this and this and this. So just giving them kind of a, a, a simple system that will keep them on track without them feeling like they have to dive off into the weeds all the time is going to be super helpful. The idea is to make people's life easier, not harder. Right. And, and the issue is when you use these, these tracking systems, they tend to require a lot of upfront learning of how to use it. Uh, so I have to record everything and I have to understand, uh, how nutrient dense my meals are, but I have to add up the vitamins and the minerals and how do these all fit in together. And that's way too much work for someone who's not a real nutrition geek or who doesn't have some sort of serious illness they have to treat. So. We're trying to do a lot of the work for people up front while keeping it as simple as we can. You know, we apply some smart evolutionary principles, get some simple carb limits and protein targets. Don't obsess about your calories. You'll know how much you're eating if you're, if you're worried about that, but we won't uh, uh, get people to focus on that because we know that's not where the results come from. It comes from solving these basic metabolic or immunometabolic issues, if you prefer. And that's where we want people to focus. And this is a tool that can be used by your average user or your clinician who's trying to get their patients to follow their own advice about fat loss. So, you know, there are a lot of docs in the low carb community that have to spend most of their day repeating pieces of information that the dietitians should be able to give but aren't. So this is where we want to step in and, you know, lend them a hand, you know, provide them with a tool that, that can help them actually give advice and save them some time. Wow, that's so cool. Um, I, and, and of course, like you said, all that data goes back into your database, right? So if there's any kind of tweaking that needs to happen, just by people using the app, it's going to make the app more valuable to everybody else. Yeah, I mean, we all know the benefit of of tracking and sharing the data. I mean, Dave Feldman of cholesterolcode.com has demonstrated that. And, you know, that's what we want to do. We want people to share their data. We want them to say, hey, your score says this is a insulinogenic food. But look, actually, you know, my ketones are up. This is likely showing that uh, the insulin response was pretty normal. And we want to know about it. And we want people to share that data and help us improve it. So I think this is the spirit with which we approach the app and our content. And that's why with collaborating not only with doctors to build the website and the app, but also with engineers and uh, anyone who has something of uh, interest and scientific value to offer. Fantastic. 
Tell me about the insulin index. What does that actually measure? And does that vary by person? So maybe I eat salmon and I get no response and Carl eats salmon and his goes crazy. Is it, talk to me about that. Yeah, so the the insulin index ranges from zero to 100. And essentially, it's a measure that originated uh, when looking at the response to food over two hours. And it's scored against a standard reference food, which is actually white bread, which has a score of 100, right? Um, and, you know, the, the portions are standardized to 240 kilocalories because that's what you have to do in scientific studies. You have to standardize things. Uh, and yes, it absolutely does vary from, from person to person. Now, I think an important thing to say up front is that, yes, the insulin index varies from person to person, but depending on what you eat, the the degree of variation isn't the same. That gets back to our glucose burner versus fat adapted person. Uh, that's exactly right. So what we see, and we can take the example of blood sugars just because people are more uh, familiar with that, but we know that the response to blood sugars to certain carbohydrate-containing food can vary widely. I mean, we've all seen it on the CGMs. We've, we've seen it even in ourselves if we're self-testing. But your response to fat tends to be more stable, right? Now, protein is sort of in between the two. We know that some diabetics seem to respond higher to protein. And, you know, oh, we man, get into Rafi, this whole you discussion. you said the P word. Now <laughs> yeah. you've done it. Yeah. <laughs> Here Pandora's come emails. Box. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the insulin index can vary. I think that's important for people to know. So this is an estimate. This is giving them directional accuracy and some degree of actual precision, which is, you know, the actual number that people can expect. And I think this is why we encourage people to test their ketones, because it's a good proxy for how high your insulin is going. Right. And even then, we'd have to take into account other hormones like glucagon and, and other things to really contextualize the index. But as of now, we're just keeping it simple. It's a score from 0 to 100. There are variations between individuals, but you can get a good idea, generally speaking. And you would say that is really geared toward those who are in ketosis. Yeah, so, so you can use the insulin index if you're in ketosis, but, you know, I think it's it's easier for us to create a keto score because the two are similar, but they're oh, not synonymous, right? Okay. So uh, I'll give you the simple example. We know that we, if, for example, if you eat a white fish or if you eat beef, your insulin is actually going to rise maybe surprisingly high. And people will say, well, is, then that means I must avoid it. Well, no, because we know, again, we have to get back to reality in a sense. Let's be empirical about this. We know people treat their diabetes fantastically with these foods, right? So the rise in insulin from a carb-rich a carb food compared to uh, an animal food like beef or fish is actually not equivalent. And that's where the keto score comes in to once again give that context. If you're following a ketogenic diet, you're not going to worsen your diabetes because of the insulin rise because that insulin rise is happening within a context that's specific to the food that's coming in, the amino acids, not the glucose. So that's why we created two different scores. And also, you know, the, the name makes it clearer, of course, if you're following a ketogenic diet. Yeah, and pink salmon has a good has good scores all the way across. Keto yeah. score of eight, nutrient density of eight, and insulin index of 29, which is on the good side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Eggs, though, so Eggs, though, are yeah. even better, aren't they? Oh, who, what, what can you, uh, name that's better than eggs? I just, I have to have them at every meal nearly. I'm a, I'm an egg fiend. 
And by the way, bazoodles are mostly eggs. Uh, Did I mention true. that? <laughs> uh, so I'm just curious, because um, uh, from what I can see on the app, I'm just looking at the, uh, the, the the first ones that come up here. Is there anything that hits the 10 out of 10 nutrient density? Uh, I should know this. Uh, yes, it, it does, definitely. So you can, if you click on the nutrient tab at the top of the search bar, you can sort of restrict uh, the results, you know, from from a certain uh, degree of nutrient density. So, uh, oh, I, oh, kidneys! Yeah. Yay! Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, New New Zealand lamb kidneys are going to score ten out of ten, and I know people don't like kidneys, but I love I love kidneys. Well, I'm from England, so we yeah. grow up on kidneys. I love kidneys. Yeah. All right, I've there now yes. <laughs> Validated by Carrie, that's all I needed. <laughs> but the insulin index is only moderate, 31%. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Because we, we have these labels to, to simplify the numbers because the numbers, again, they have our context attached to it. So that's where the labels come in to make it clear. Ah, well, you know what's even better is uh, <laughs> you're going to, I'm going to say it, lamb balls. Oh, lamb balls. New Zealand <laughs> lamb testes. meatballs made so- out of lamb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New Zealand testes soaked and fried. Keto score of eight, nutrient density ten, insulin index twenty nine. So Boom. kids, there get you your go. lamb Ask balls your on. <laughs> Those Rocky Mountain oysters. Oh my goodness, lobster! Oh no. yeah, another reason to go out and eat all the the New England lobster right there. Ten out of there ten nutrient 10 out of 10. density. Keto That's score it. seven, insulin index thirty six. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, hopefully it's going to help people, you know, because they have the, everyone's asking what's keto and what's right. not. And we're just trying to make it easier for people to make smart choices. We don't want to send them down the, the road of, you know, getting lost, desperate and getting off the diet. You know, give it a real chance. And you really do have to see all three of these numbers at the same yeah. time, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really wonderful. And uh, Thank you. just one more thing. When do you expect the apps to come out? So the mobile app, so our Nutrita Light Keto Scanner will be out uh, by the end of July. Uh, it'll be on iOS and Android. And the Pro app will likely be shortly after that, a couple of weeks. So between the end of July and August. And what are they called so we can search for them? Yeah, so the Pro app will be called Nutrita Pro. Okay. And uh, the free mobile app will be called Nutrita Light, L-I-T-E. So if we just search for Nutrita yeah. on the App Store, we'll find it. Yeah, exactly. Search for Nutrita and, and it'll come up. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a clinician, we'd love your feedback. Uh, we, so we build this for, you know, the average consumer, but we really have a lot of love for clinicians and we know how hard an, an uphill battle it is for them to get the right information out there. So please give it a try and come back to us and tell us how we can make it better. Rafi, thank you. It's been an amazing uh, talk with you and congratulations on this great work and the data and presenting it. And I think you're going to have a lot of fans very soon. Oh, I hope so. And thank you for, for the interview. It was a, a ton of fun and hopefully we can do one again and have uh, Richard on as well. Definitely. <laughs> this, is, this has been fascinating and I could talk to you for hours, but I know it's, it's Friday night there in Portugal <laughs> and you probably have a glass of wine waiting. So thank you. I Rafi. don't, but I'm going to get one. I don't. <laughs> and it'll cost 50 cents and it'll be yeah. better than anything that we can get here. <laughs> All right. All right. Talk thank to you, later. you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
I'm so happy I found this resource. And thanks for bringing Rafi to the show, Carrie. I think it might have been Richard. It was Richard's original idea, and then I reached out to Rafi on social media, and super glad I could talk to him all day. Yeah, me too. I was hoping for an invite to Portugal to eat fresh sardines, but we (laughs) we may have to talk a bit longer before that happens. Right. All right, well then, uh, I think, Carrie, do you have a, um, you know, a, a recipe? I do. I do have a recipe. You have a recipe? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Share your uh, recipe mm-hmm. with us. You see, at the beginning, when I first joined Two Keto Dudes, everyone thought that by now you would have, like, made me do, you know, the whole recipe thing. But I quickly um, learned one does not make Carrie Brown do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's um the tide has turned and um it's all become a bit calm and a bit british hasn't it yeah yeah you've elevated our show to a level of class that it has previously not see before you came on richard and i would talk about things like assless chaps and we would never say assless chaps in the presence of such a sophisticated erudite as yourself so, for example, that is just one thing that I would never say in your presence. I am. You're um, I'm. I'm just gonna not. <laughs> I, I, I'm just gonna choose She's to turning not red, say folks. anything. She's at beat this point. red. <laughs> I win. <laughs> All, right. All right. What do you got? Recipe. Because it is hotter than Hades in Connecticut right now. Especially at your house. Especially at my house because I don't have AC and Carl does. Um, I thought that I would do something that involved chocolate, mm. but because it's hot, we want something that's chocolate that won't melt because ah, often right. you, you, you know, you, especially us girls, we get the chocolate fixation, but mm. it's all melty. So I thought I would do something that gives you the chocolate without the issues of like that uh, summer can bring. So Very good. What I have for you today is mint chocolate pudding. Ooh. But, and people in the Keto Kitchen over on Facebook, come join us if you haven't, have made all sorts of versions of this. So, you know, raspberry chocolate, orange chocolate, you can alter that that mint for something else to make any combination you choose but this one is mint so here we go it is super simple you're gonna need 13 ounces of avocado flesh which from memory is about two medium avocados with the, the skin and the pits removed okay you're gonna need half a cup of canned thick coconut milk you're gonna need one cup of unsweetened cocoa powder, a pinch of sea salt, a quarter of a teaspoon of pure peppermint extract. And if you're doing the mint version, don't guess because Mm. peppermint extract is super, super, super strong. And a quarter of a teaspoon is a tiny amount. So just get your spoon out for this one. If If you choose to use orange extract or raspberry or whatever other chocolate combination you like, Mm. you're going to have to, you know, start with a quarter of a teaspoon and then taste it and then add until it's the right flavor intensity because you will need more than if you're making the peppermint. 
then you're going to need eight tablespoons of xylitol or erythritol or allulose Mm -hmm. and two tablespoons of cocoa nibs, although those are optional. Okay, and that gives it some texture or? Yes, so I just used it as a textural slash decoration for it. So completely okay. optional, but I think it adds a nice crunch and also a little bit of bitter, which cocoa nibs are. So nice. here's, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put your avocado flesh and your thick coconut milk in a blender and blend it until smooth. If you mm-hmm. prefer to use heavy whipping cream instead of the thick coconut milk, go right ahead. Add your cocoa powder, salt, your flavoring extract, and your sweetener to the blender and blend on high. Now, this gets really, really thick. Yeah. And you're going to have to stop the blender and, and push down the ingredients regularly. It's hard work even for a Vitamix. So be prepared to stop, you know, use your spatula, blend a bit more, use your spatula, blend a bit more. Yeah. When it's completely blended, spoon it into glasses or dishes or whatever you're using to serve it in and then refrigerate for at least 30 minutes until it's chilled Mm -hmm. and then sprinkle with cocoa nibs and serve. So it's super simple, but it is worthy of serving at a dinner party. So it can be a super fancy thing or this is something that you could just keep a – a bucket of this in the fridge and if you just want a little something at the end of dinner you can take a few spoons of that you could yeah. serve it at a after a fancy dinner it's also a fantastic way to use up avocados if you've oh. got a bunch of avocados and it's getting to that point where it's just like they're all going to go bad before i can eat them yeah once you've turned them into your into your mint chocolate pudding then it kind of extends their life for like another you know five or six days so it's a fabulous way to use up and not waste your avocados it takes a little bit of effort but really not much it's super simple and you can vary it with with different flavorings raspberry orange mint or just plain chocolate if that's your thing so chocolate that you can eat in the summer without worrying about it melting and staying completely keto. Boom. Great. Boom indeed. I love chocolate and especially chocolate that doesn't melt in my hands but melts in my mouth. There you go. Here to serve. All right. Well, that's another great episode of Two Keto Dudes in the can. If you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you've found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure to use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.twoketo.com. And you can have a look around without needing to create an account by starting with success.twoketo.com. Also, check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, if Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. And if you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, Two Keto Dudes Gold. We also have a free Facebook fan page at fb.2keto.com, so go follow us there. 
And you can see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. Also, we have an Amazon affiliate store. You can buy your favorite keto ingredients and devices by going to amazon.2keto.com and you can help us out at the same time. And if you haven't already, please go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Now listen up, kids. Keep calm, keto on, and we'll see you at Keto Fest next week. Yay, Keto Fest. Keep calm and keto on. And we'll talk to you next time on Two, Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.